Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me for Brahma Vihara's Joy. Uh, and this is the last chapter of the four chapters on the Brahma Viharas. So Brahma Vihara is a Pali word, uh, or a Sanskrit word, or term rather, uh, which translates directly into the dwelling of the gods, or the home of the gods. And so these four qualities, these four ways of experiencing the world, uh, loving-kindness, compassion, equanimity, and joy are considered to be so exalted in a way that uh, these are the places that the gods dwell. And so with that in mind, uh, we move forward with these practices in an attempt to cultivate uh, the abode of the gods or the, these uh, beautiful qualities of experience uh, ways of experiencing life. Now, I just want to speak a little bit about equanimity because we just wrapped up a chapter on equanimity. We spent about two weeks uh, doing those. Now, if you missed all of that and you're just joining me, no worries. It's great. You can just fall in. All of these episodes are standalone episodes, uh, but you can review. They're all available uh, on my website. They're here on Facebook. They're all on my YouTube channel as well. So equanimity. Now equanimity is the practice of seeing experience or the world as it arises, free from our preferences and prejudices. Now one of the, uh, what's considered to be a near enemy of equanimity is this quality of indifference. Because when we're in a state of indifference, that often feels like equanimity. There's no judgment there, right? There's no preference. But it's also a state of not caring. And, but these often get mistaken. I, and I see this sometimes in meditators. They, they have this real uh, even, balanced uh, persona. And their experience in the world in this very calm state uh, but you spend some time with them, and after a while, you, you realize they just don't care about anything. <laughs> That's not the idea here. Uh, and so when we're practicing equanimity, and perhaps we feel kind of this gray, dull, or just a, a bland experience, that's the experience of indifference. And so if that's arising for you in your practice or in life, Turn and take a look at that indifference. Study it, feel it. What does this indifference look like? What does it feel like in my body? Is there a particular color that arises with this indifference? I suggested gray, but for some people it's uh, like an off-white or some people experience like a blackness. Uh, so there might be a color associated with this indifference. The more you look at indifference, uh, the, the more likely it is to start to break down and dissolve. And that's really a nice thing because when that uh, indifference breaks down and dissolve, just around the corner from that indifference is the experience of equanimity. So the other enemy or the other principal enemy of uh, equanimity is uh, 
prejudice and preference. And so we can feel when we're being judgmental in the body, right? It arises as a tension, uh, kind of a closing down, if you will. Uh, for example, if I drop my brand new iPhone, my body goes, ooh, because <laughs> I'm judging that experience as negative. Uh, now, it also arises in the mind of, uh, in the mind of emotion, rather. It arises in our emotional body, or in Tibet they say the emotional mind. Uh, and so, same example, I reach down and pick up my phone, uh, and it is indeed cracked, uh, then that emotion of fear has been confirmed. So then, when the next time a phone drops, I'll have that same experience. And so we're falling into judging again. But there it arises in the emotion body, that fear. Uh, perhaps I lean down, I pick up the phone, and it's not cracked. Beautiful. Uh, there the fear is undermined, and our body relaxes back into the present moment. <clears throat> Judgment also arises in our awareness. <clears throat> simply as a disturbance. So I drop the phone and my awareness is cloudy. <clears throat> Maybe I can't concentrate well or, or you know, I, I, I might be in the present moment and then my mind is thinking about, oh, I, how could I be so careless dropping the phone, whatever. <clears throat> and so there's judgment again. There we're stepping away from equanimity like that. And so those are three ways uh, that we can work with uh, letting go of our judgments, recognizing where it's arising in our experience. Is it in the body? Tension, shutting down, wincing. Is it in our emotional body uh, where we have fear or some sort of uh, uh, dread about what's happening? Or is it in our, just in our awareness, in our, in our thought process, uh, distractedness or more, more thoughts about uh, the experience, judging, and so forth. And so I think that concludes the chapter on equanimity. Uh, and what a beautiful, beautiful practice. Not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, none of these practices are inherently easy, I don't think. Uh, they do take time. And I think if you've heard me talk before about this, uh, you've heard me say that... Um, it generally takes about three months on each of the Brahma Viharas to really start to get a grasp on what they feel like and how to manifest them in our life. Uh, now, if you listen to teachings like the one I'm presenting here or other teachers who talk about the Brahma Viharas, uh, that's good. That'll give you a head start. You might be able to trim a month or two off of that uh, because... Um, I've done these for many years, and so I'm attempting to make it easier for those who have never done them before. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I hope it helps, and, I, and that's really my intention here, is to be of assistance uh, to anybody who wants to walk this path. Joy. Who doesn't want to be more joyous, right? More joyful. What a, what a beautiful thing, right? Uh, and it seems like this would be a really light, simple practice, um, right? Cultivating joy. 
great. Um, but I think that's a little misleading. Uh, I actually found the uh, uh, out of all of the four Brahma Viharas, a uh, joy to be the most subtle, uh, the most deep, and uh, some of the most profound insights that I've had have been working with this quality of joy. Uh, so, so don't underestimate uh, the practices on joy. Now, these practices on joy work uh, to take apart and dismantle our need to grasp at our experiences to validate our self-worth. And so this arises, again, it arises in the body as a physical reaction uh, to what's arising in our experience. We grasp at something or we push something away like that. That's the, the, uh, the opposite of joy when we're doing that. I'm going through the opposites now, the enemies of joy. Uh, this, the enemy of joy arises in the emotional body uh, when we're see seeking out validation through achievement. It strips away uh, the possibility of really uh, um, experiencing joy uh, in the present moment because now we're striving to, towards something, striving towards this, this achievement and hoping to find validation in that achievement. So that's one of the enemies of joy. The enemy of joy also arises in uh, the mind of awareness, in our thought process, as uh, a sense of lack. And we start to grasp at, at things to cover up uh, this experience of lacking. It also arises as uh, a search for validation or meaning and experience in our life, I like that. So the practice of joy it frees us from the need for this external validation. And once we're freed from that, we can actually enter into each activity uh, with a present moment awareness. And that's really where this joy starts to arise from. Uh, what athletes call the flow state uh, we start to be able to cultivate a type of awareness which allows us to be in that flow state even in the most mundane activities of life. Uh, so this type of joy starts to arise in whatever we're doing. And so we start to cultivate that for ourselves first, and then we extend that out to others. And this works in the same way. If you've heard me uh, go through the compassion, loving-kindness, and equanimity practices, uh, it unfolds in the same way. We start with ourself, then we extend joy to loved ones, then to people we don't know, then to people we don't like very much, and then we extend joy gradually to the whole world. Beautiful. So the near enemy of joy is overexcitement. And it's called the near enemy because sometimes that looks like joy, right? But one really can't hold a sense of equanimity when they're in this overexcited state, right? Oh my God, this is so joyful. And then the, the mind wants to grasp at that experience. That's not really the, the type of joy that we're attempting to cultivate with these practices. 
the far enemy of joy, uh, and it's called the far enemy because it can't masquerade as joy. Overexcitement can sometimes look like joy, uh, but uh, it's not. <laughs> the far enemy, uh, the inner critic. And here, uh, this is where the practices I find to be really quite deep because we start to be able to dismantle that voice of, I should do this and I shouldn't do that. Now, we're not talking about the voice that keeps us morally aligned with our culture, with our society. We, that voice will stay intact. But the inner critic, I should, I should have done this, or I should be better at that, or I should do this in this way. That inner critic keeps us from experiencing uh, the the joy of just being. And so these practices, these aspiration phrases that we offer into our heart and to the hearts of others, start to break down uh, and see through that voice. And another one, one of the enemies of joy is envy. And this really arises when we start to send joy to others. Because it's really hard to be joyful for somebody else's success and be envious of their success at the same time. And so when those two meet in the practice, they, they rub together like two sticks rubbing together. And eventually that heat, that fire dissolves the ego, breaks down our belief structure, our ego, and we just fall into a state of joy out of the ashes of that burning we fall into this state of joy for ourselves and for the other, like that. So uh, working with overexcitement, and that can be really be done by feeling the breath, feeling the body coming into the present moment. Uh, that's a, one way of really calming uh, the overexcited mind. Uh, the inner critic and, and the, the experience of envy uh, we do that uh, with these aspiration phrases, welcoming them into our heart. And so I'll just go through the phrases very quickly here. Uh, the first phrase, may I enjoy the activities of life itself. And so in the first stage of the practice, we welcome that phrase into our heart. And then we take really about a minute or so in silence, visualizing or imagining uh, what our life would look or feel like if that phrase was completely true for our life situation. If we could really and truly experience uh, each activity of life uh, with the fullness of enjoyment. What would our life look like? What would our life feel like? And so when we do this, when we, when we welcome that phrase into the heart, uh, resistances might arise. And that's good. We, we actually want the resistances to appear because then we can see very clearly how these resistances keep us from experiencing life itself through enjoyment or keep us from experiencing uh, the activities of life itself with enjoyment. Because that, that inner dialogue is the inner critic. 
And so when it arises, we rest in that. We don't try to change it. We don't say, oh, that's that voice. Well, that's what, you know, that's keeping me from being joyful. Go away and push it away. Because that's not going to really allow us to dismantle that voice. So, for example, we bring the phrase in, may I enjoy the activities of life itself? And I start to visualize, well, what would it look like if I could really enjoy shaving? And then I visualize myself shaving. But then the voice says, oh, this is silly. You know, these are such mundane activities. You hate shaving. You get razor burning. That's the inner critic. And so rather than trying to change that, we recognize that voice. And then just sit in the present moment experience. Breathe, feel the body, and look at that voice. What is this voice trying to tell me, really? Where is this voice coming from? What does it feel like when this voice arises? All of this looking at this, all of this studying the inner critic will eventually allow the inner critic to dissolve. And so then you go to do whatever activity, I use the example of shaving, that probably doesn't work for at least half of you, right? But uh, anyway, I use that for an example. So uh, uh, using that example, then when I go to shave the next time, I'll be in the present moment with it. All of those, vo that inner critic, oh, you hate shaving, you, you know, make sure you use the proper shaving cream, whatever it is that takes you out of the present moment, uh, you'll be in the present moment experience with that. And that's where the enjoyment is. That's how we begin to enjoy the activities of life itself, is by being in the present moment with that activity. Uh, and I've heard some teachers say that they, their theory is that that's why people enjoy extreme sports and even extreme uh, weightlifting or, or even bowling or any, any sort of activity uh, that I didn't mean to offend any bowlers out there. Any activity that brings you right into the present moment. Uh, it is that meeting of the present moment that creates that enjoyment. And I, I know people who do extreme uh, sailing or extreme rowing. Uh, my mariner friends that do that type of activity. Uh, extreme weightlifting, rock climbing, mountain climbing any sort of extreme sport, you really have to be right there in the present moment. And that's where the enjoyment comes. If you ever watch, uh, you know, a, a great basketball player, Michael Jordan, for example, he's right in that, what they call that flow state. And that's why, that's why basketball players love the game so much, is because it allows them to embrace that present moment experience. Now, they may not cognize it in that way, uh, but that's similar to what's going on. And so, as I mentioned earlier, these practices are allowing us to embrace even the most mundane activities through that flow state. Okay, next phrase. May I enjoy things just as they are. And again, this is really a phrase allowing 
become uh, more in touch with the present moment experience. Because what brings us out of that present moment experience, right? Well, sometimes and very often it's wishing things were different, right? So we go outside and, and uh, we were planning a picnic, but now it's raining, right? Well, now we want things to be different. We want the present moment to be different than what it is. May I enjoy things just as they are. Ah, you step outside. Ah, it's raining. Beautiful. You know what? I won't even use the umbrella. Feel the droplets of water hit the body. It's really a hot day, perhaps. Uh, here in northern Thailand, we're experiencing a drought. It's rainy season. It hasn't rained. Uh, and so it might be a blessing that, that that rain is coming down. So enjoying things just as they are taking away that need for the present moment to be different allows us to enjoy exactly what's arising simply because we're in the present moment contact with what is arising. May I enjoy, oh, sorry. May I experience the world taking joy in all that I do. Again, here we're coming uh, right up against the inner critic, right? I mean, what would, what would our life really feel like if we could just for an hour experience the world taking joy in everything we did for that hour? <laughs> wow. But even then, even just the suggestion of that, the mind starts to go, but these people wouldn't like that, or that person wouldn't like that, or this group wouldn't like what I think about this, or that's all, again, that inner critic. Now, you might be correct about some of that. Doesn't matter. Here, we're just working with that inner voice. So, again, meeting that inner voice. May I experience the world taking joy in all that I do, even the most mundane acts, even when I wash the dishes, the whole world experiences joy. And so if we're really in touch with the idea of contingency, the idea how everything is connected, right? then actually we can really kind of start to see how this might play out. So for example, uh, I do something like wash the dishes. Seems very mundane, right? But then maybe, you know, my partner says, oh, you wash the dishes. Oh, lovely. She feels happier, right? Then she goes outside and meets four or five people and because she's in a happier mood, she feels happy and she maybe gives a compliment to one or two of those people, right? And then, they, then they're in a happy mood, they feel good. And then they, they go out into town, maybe one of them goes shopping, one of them goes bowling. <laughs> and the one who goes bowling, you know, now they give a compliment or two or three or they, they bowl a really good game and their whole team feels better. And so, and it spreads out. It's, a, it's this 
Everything is connected in this way energetically. When we come in contact with somebody, uh, we have the opportunity to make their day a little bit better. And that's more likely to happen if somebody took the time, the energy, the effort. It might just be so small like washing the dishes, but it creates this forward motion of positivity. So in a way, the whole world might just experience joy uh, in all that we do. The last phrase, may I know what to do, whatever arises. And I, I, I find this phrase to have the most hook to it. Right? It's slightly different. It doesn't have, it doesn't even have the word joy or enjoyment in the phrase, right? May I know what to do, whatever arises. How often does confusion arise when we step into an unfamiliar situation, right? And that's, again, that, that activates that inner critic almost immediately. The voices Oh, we should do this, we have to do that. It's, it's like micromanaging. So that voice, always looking for the right angle, the right, the comfort zone, right? And so to let that go and to really trust that we will know what to do, whatever arises. When we're in that situation, we can rest. And what would that feel like? How much joy would we bring to that moment if we could let that inner critic of, of uh, micromanagement dissolve? And so again, when we're, when we're meditating, we bring this phrase into the heart, may I know what to do, whatever arises then we visualize ourselves in an unfamiliar situation perhaps, or maybe remembering something in the past where we were stumped, we, we had no idea how to move forward. May I know what to do. And so visualizing that memory perhaps, and then having the answer, what would that feel like? Then again, that inner critic might arise. If that does, that's just a resistance. That's just your internal dialogue resisting the experience of joy. And just rest in that. Again, not trying to push it away, not trying to change it, but just notice that voice. Notice where it comes from, how it arose. And you might even recognize the tone uh, from being from a parent or from uh, social media, from a movie. Uh, or from a teacher. You might even recognize it immediately where that voice comes from. And so once we recognize that and we notice how that micromanaging voice, that inner critic, how it blocks our experience of joy, it's, it's, it puts up that wall. There's no joy in that moment anymore. It's just, in that situation, it's usually kind of a stressful situation, right? 
But think how much joy there would be if you could move through your life just knowing what to do, whatever arose. Didn't matter what the situation was, you knew the way forward that would cause the least amount of suffering for yourself and for others every time. What would that look like? What would that feel like? Hmm. So that's the the work that we have cut out for us. Uh, so thank you for joining me. This has been uh, an introduction into the meditations on joy. And I also wrapped up a bit there on equanimity. Um, I will be back tomorrow uh, doing a full guided meditation uh, on joy similar, well, the meditation that I've just described, where we offer these phrases to our own heart, really sitting with each phrase, allowing each phrase to bring up a response, a reaction, or an opening, and then just being with that. And the more we do that, the, the, uh, if we can be consistent with that type of practice, joy does arise in even the most simplest mundane activities of life itself beautiful, beautiful practice. So I hope you all will join me for that. Uh, and I think that's all I want to say today. Have a really happy Sunday, and I will see you all tomorrow uh, on Facebook Live or Instagram Live. By the way, if you've been following me on the New Life Foundation page, uh, this broadcast will, will only be live on the New Life Foundation page on Mondays and Thursdays. So they're, they're, they're uh, adding different content now. But I'll be there on Mondays and Thursdays, but every other day I'll be on my Facebook page, I'll be on my Instagram. You can catch these on YouTube as well. Uh, thanks again, stay safe, stay clean, stay healthy, uh, whatever that means for you and however you do that. Much love, much light, much joy.